0: Southern skies are a line medium. hey folks, and welcome back to Plane Crazy Down Under, episode forty-three of the program that looks at the world of aviation from an Australia-Pacific point of view. Steve Fisher back with you once again, and joining me as always is Grant McHeron. G'day, mate. Hey, mate, how you going? Oh, not too bad. Shivering a little bit on this chilly Melbourne night.
1: Oh, it is a little chilly for uh, give. It, well, you know, we're coming out of winter; we're going into summer. It's it is that spring time when they uh, they run the horse racing carnivals down here. They're coming up pretty soon, and as usual, the weather is cold and wet when all the the uh, fillies are out there trying to promenade their gear. Yeah, it's always makes for uh, rather amusing viewing from a train driver's
0: point of view. I can tell you, taking all those uh, rather inebriated people out to the races and back. Well, yeah, they go, they
1: go out dressed in their finery, looking so wonderful, and they come back. Oh, hello! You know, they look so wonderful yeah. coming back, mate, I'll tell you. Oh, yeah, I know, <laughs> the ladies are carrying their high heels and staggering everywhere. Their hats are a, a, a sort of askew on their heads, and i, I got to say, I... I I'm not sure which is the worst train to be stuck in as a passenger, being in a train that's taking everyone home from the football game or being in the train that's taking everyone home from the, uh, the races because I've been trapped in a carriage that was full of a lot of uh, very drunk ladies who were just going nuts on the way back. And, uh, yeah, most guys were like, I think we need to leave now.
0: But then again, Grant, you might be on a train full of drunken Collingwood supporters, so take your pick.
1: Mm, yeah, okay. No, good point.
0: Well, folks, uh, coming up on this show, we're going to uh, finally release the content that we recorded at the uh, centenary of powered flight celebrations in Melton, or at Digger's Rest, uh, take your pick on which, which you'd like to call it, that we recorded way back in March. Now, if you remember, folks, uh, back then, I was actually dying of pneumonia at that time, so you won't hear too much of me in these interviews. I did attend the air show, but uh, I had to leave early. My, my brother... Uh, Popped me in the car and took what was left of me home that day, and uh, we left Grant behind armed with all the recording gear, and he's got some wonderful interviews, and we're going to put those together in a couple of packages. Grant, uh, what are the first three we've got coming up?
1: The first three chats we've got here are a lot of fun. We're kicking it off with our chat with uh, Chris Peru and Warren from Skyblazers, who uh, do a really great show with a... Uh, debonair and a pit special so uh, a lot of fun chatting with them and uh, hearing some of Chris's tales from some of his adventures flying and uh, yeah definitely there's a, there's some good content for a book in his head I tell you <laughs> uh, after that we have a chat with Bernie Ferry who was a gentleman who bought one of his aircraft in and had it on static display he was there with a Citabria, but he also has a, a beautiful older aircraft at home that's currently in pieces which is why he didn't fly it into the show uh, we wrap this section up with uh, chat with Clint Ashton Martin, who flies one of the only airworthy uh, Avro cadets in the world. There's a couple of them here in Australia that can be flown and a couple in the UK, I believe it is. Uh, but yeah, Clint's aircraft was absolutely gorgeous. It was definitely one of the highlights of the show was to see that flying.
0: Yeah, Grant, and I tell you what, uh, there's been times through our little journey here on this podcast where I've, you know, we've interviewed people, and I felt rather starstruck. Well, I can tell you, meeting Chris Baru, the one I um, you call the Master, um, <laughs> I've I've always wanted to talk to Chris. I've always wanted to meet him, and um, you know, I talked before about having fond memories around uh, aviation, uh, you know, with regard to my father uh, we used to love going to air shows and if we knew Chris Peru was going to an air show or an air display somewhere we'd make sure we were there more often than not and uh, so the chance to meet him was was a wonderful opportunity and I, I just regret that I was <laughs> just so unwell that day that
1: uh, it was it was really really great to just to sit back while you interviewed him and, and boy what an experience. Yeah it was great uh, Chris and Warren have been putting on their show for quite some time now and you can tell they do it's just flawless they do it so well and uh, it was it was definitely one of the highlights of the day for me as well to uh, to meet up with Chris and, and Warren. Um, I've seen them at Avalon a few times. I've heard of Chris Spirou. I, I didn't grow up in Australia, so I haven't grown up with him as an airshow name for me, but uh, do know some of his history, so it was great to meet up with the guys. So enjoy this. The, we'll have a block of these three chats all together, and uh, then we'll talk to you on the other side. Okay, I'm standing here with Chris Peru and Warren Stewart and they are the Sky Blazers. Uh, you gentlemen fly a pit
2: special and a debonair uh, formation show with uh, Chris. You do rolls around the yeah. debonair. I fly the pit special yep. and I roll around Warren. Uh, he reckons I'm a buzzsaw when he hears me coming. <laughs> but uh, yeah, we, what we do is we uh, we fly. I do two rolls around him.
3: Yep. Now we start with a mirror.
2: Oh, we we'll start with a mirror. Sorry about that. See, I told you I should have asked him first. <laughs> we come in, in mirror formation. I roll upside down over the top of him, yep. so we dive in and mirror, and then uh, so the pits is inverted over the devon air. Yep. Pits is inverted, yep. we both make it won't smoke. Work the other way, yeah, a bit hard, isn't it? And uh, then we come back and I do a couple of rolls around him, yep. coming back in the other direction, and then we do a turnaround, and then I do an echelon roll from left to right, okay, which means I pitch up, do a complete roll over the top of him, okay, and lob down on the other side, right? So from left to right, and then, yep. I, then I come back again. Then we do a turn around and then dive in the in mirror. Yep. We roll over the top of him again and, and we do our break. Okay. So it's pretty quick. It's over in about three and a half minutes. Okay. So It's, it's a good
3: length of time for mum, dad and the kids to get the wow factor from it. Yep. Yeah. So how long have you guys been doing the show? Ooh, well, I came in about, 90, about 91. Okay. Actually, I think the first time Chris and myself flew together as, as an air show flight, was um, the first
1: Avalon. OK. Yeah, right. first Avalon air show. And we've done cool. every Avalon yeah. since. Yeah, yep. we've done it ever since. Yeah, I've seen you guys a few times. I work tarmac
2: there, so I've seen you a few times there. So what inspired you to do the show like this? Well, it has been done... No-one else does it in Australia. Yep. So uh, we tempted CASA, okay. Civil Aviation Safety Authority, and they accepted it. OK. Yeah, they were happy.
3: We did a lot of practice. In fact, we're the only ones that do it. Well, yeah. In Australia. Yeah, yeah. the, the yeah. rural try to do it, but they roll around the smoke trail yeah. behind yeah, them. They yeah, they say stay
2: back a bit. Yeah, stay back behind. Yeah, yeah, we yeah. Go, I go straight over the side of him, so okay. it's uh, it's more spectacular, I think. Yep. Mm. The roulettes probably don't.
1: We'll <laughs> 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 be talking to them later. We'll, yeah. Yeah. well, <laughs> we'll ask them. I, we I like the roulettes. They're good <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
2: friends. Yeah, no, they're good.
3: a bunch of good guys. They're always well they to chat. They are good fellas, yeah. Yeah. yeah.
1: Warren, what's your background in aviation? How long have you been flying, and what have you flown?
3: Well, where do we go right... To, well, I was an apprentice in... Uh, with Qantas, as, and I end up as a Lamy okay, uh, and a commercial pilot.
4: Yep.
3: And um, after that, I worked for De Havillands for a while, and then so I actually assembled the Debonair that I'm flying, oh, cool. but never knowing so. that I'd uh, be an owner never of it yours. one day. Yeah. Then I went charter flying, then uh, then went up into the Pacific and worked for Qantas and UTA, a subsidiary airline up there for 13 years. Yep. And uh, then came back to Australia where I joined the Bureau of Air Safety Investigation for quite a few years, and then because Chris and I were both doing virtually the same sort of work, one for insurance, one for the government, uh, when they closed the office in Adelaide, where I was the manager, um, I then went and worked with Chris to do aviation um, insurance work. (coughs) So we've sort of been together from being involved with each other since 1990,
2: Mm, okay. That's
3: true. Yep. Mm. Okay, and you've been flying the Devon Air. That's been you bought it new or no? No, the Devon Air was um, was here with Chris. It okay. was already o- operating the Devon Air. Oh, so I was right.
2: operating the Devon Air, and, okay. then, and uh, Warren bought into it. Okay, so we both own it. Excellent. Mm.
3: Okay, how about yourself, Chris?
2: Uh, well, I started back in the '60s. Uh, '61, I started with the Royal Aero Club. Yep. Um, was that Royal Aero Club here or Royal Aero Club of South Australia? Okay. okay. Uh, flying chipmunks. Oh, cool. And uh, so I, I was a bit of a dag. I used to go out and fly aerobatics when I was, should have been doing something else. <laughs> and um, they asked me to uh, join the formation team. OK. And uh, This is after I got my licence, and I said, yeah, OK. And uh, we won the formation title seven times. Cool. The national title. Yep. And I was part of the team. And then they asked me if I would fly aerobatics for the club, and I said, yes. So in 69, I think it was, that I won the first... Uh, aerobatic title, Australian title. Yep. Uh, flying a Victor Air Tourer. Oh, yeah. 100. Yep, sure. <laughs> yeah. Nice <laughs> And then I got onto the Fuji, yeah. the Fuji 200, and uh, I beat uh, a guy flying a pit Special mm. in the Fuji. That's good. So it was good. And it went on from there. Uh, I didn't want to go fly airlines or anything like that. I yeah. was more of a sport pilot. That's yep. what I wanted to do. To do my own thing. And I then went on and won the Australian title 13 times. I represented Australia in the world championships several times. Yep. But we were always our class because we, our department here wouldn't allow us to uh, modify our aircraft. Okay. So we had to compete in, you know, standard aircraft. Pretty stock. Yeah, yeah. stock models yep. against the Russians and the Yanks and the french and the british and but anyhow it was still fun it was all, all yeah. experience yeah yeah and ever since i've worked on movies i, I okay. sort of stunt doubled in movies which ones have you worked the last on? one was kangaroo jack oh okay hopefully the uh stearman yep. Boeing stearman and that worked with william hurt bill hurt okay and uh oh quite a few others too, fly, on the flying side yep. of it and we do air shows now yeah uh, and that's about the okay the strength of it all cool mm-hmm. Now, when, when you're doing the the
1: Skyblazers routine, do, do you have like you've already organised set points to come in from, or do you, yes. you, you form up? So, how how you've you've given us an indication of what you do, but what's what's the workload
2: involved in what are you both doing in the cockpit? Well, mainly, Warren takes lead because yeah. he's got to position the aeroplane uh, in front of the crowd at the right yeah. point. So he, he calls, you know, he says right, roll now. Um, okay. So he he's got a bit of a workload. I just follow. No, okay. I just do do the tricky bits. There's yeah.
3: speed changes too for the various. Uh, yep. um The mirror, will come in pretty fast. We okay. can come back slow for the uh, barrel roll. Otherwise, yeah, you know, I've got I've got this distance to travel and Chris has got yeah that Lots. distance to travel. <laughs> yeah. So you've got to slow down to, so that he can okay. use up that uh, space. Yep. And uh, same with the echelons; it's a, it's much slower, and then okay. we come back fast again in. So you're
1: running the lead and setting yeah. setting
3: the pace yeah. and so on. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Chris calls the break off the mirror.
2: Okay. Yeah. Yep. That's the last manoeuvre. Yep. Yeah. yeah. And then I go into it, a, do a, about two minute bracket of play level aerobatics okay. while he lands. Yep. And then I land him behind him, and that's it. Cool. Okay. Are you still doing competitions at all, Chris? No, I've given that
0: away. Yeah. It's yeah. yeah. okay. yeah, a shame we've uh, watched it for so many years at so many air shows. It's very really
2: demanding yeah. competition flying. Yeah. You yeah. know, it takes a lot of your time and. Uh, you lose your friends you don't <laughs> you yeah. spend half your time going to bed early and exercising and That's training and uh, um, it'll cost me a marriage too so <laughs> there you go yeah
1: and yeah. Yeah, no, it's ballooning's sort of like that you I uh, crew for hot air balloons so you went up uh, very
2: very early you go to bed and mm. up early and yeah it kind of kills your social life yeah social life is finished yeah. you know if you're serious yeah, yeah. if I take something on i get serious about it yep yeah going to do it, do it right. it. Right. Right. Yep. exactly.
1: Okay. Anything else you guys like
2: to say while we've got you here? Uh, send money.
4: Yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Money works. Money works. Well, I should. I've started write a couple of chapters of my, uh, couple of my yes. of, uh, a couple of my incidents, and then also a couple of my recoveries of aeroplanes out, out in the sticks. Yeah. And um, they they make good stories. Believe me, the way we got them out. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, the incident at, uh, in Darwin when my rudder cable broke, that's when I uh, had to grab the rudder cable stopped stop the spin. I was sort of flying towards the ground, grabbed the rudder cable, held onto it, fed the other rudder in and stopped the gyration. And then I thought, now, what am I going to do? Yeah. <laughs> and, I, and I thought, so I gave a Mayday and I said, I'll go out over Fanny Bay and I'll jump because I had a parachute then. And then I thought, hey, hang on, there's crocodiles and there's those box jellyfish things. <laughs> I said, nah, uh, I don't want to try and land it. So I uh, tied it, a knot around the cable. You know, pulling it against the slipstream was hard and wrapped it around my hand. Pulling that, I could pull right rudder and I had my foot on the other rudder and then I had to work the throttle and grab the stick like that and uh, I landed, got it down on the ground and, of course, as my speed r- sort of decayed, I kept pulling right rudder because the pits had a tendency to swing to the left. I, then, of course, there was no rudder authority over the... There's no rudder authority then because the, there was no slipstream and she just wheeled around pitched up on its nose and dug her left wing in and stopped like that vertical the nose in the bitumen <laughs> <laughs> then the CEO of the Air, the Air Force Base came racing out in his ute, no, in his van. He said, look what you done to my runway. He didn't ask me how old I was, you know. <laughs> yeah. I, I, sorry, the prop took great chunks out of his runway. <laughs> he was upset about that. Mm. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, stuff you and your plane. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he didn't care about me. I thought, oh. yeah, that was one, that's one incident. And the other one was when the prop came off. I sheared the crankshaft over Port Perry. I was, I was doing a tumble. Thank God it happened when the tumble was going the other way and the prop went forward. It cleared the aeroplane and, of course, I didn't have any... The engine oversped and damaged the engine and then I just spiralled down and landed, got away with that one too. And then landed upside down.
4: tricky.
2: Yeah. Was that, was that, was, <laughs> was, was that yeah. when you were doing a, um, a ribbon yeah. cut? Well, actually, it was. I was going to do the ribbon cut. I did what I did there, I roll on take-off. But uh, we were, again, we were rushed. We just came over from South Australia, and um, I didn't put the, the male cap on the female plug on the fuel system uh, where the ferry tank plugged into. As I rolled, this nut came past my nose and sat on the top of the cu- cockpit, and I thought, "Geez, I'd better grab that in case it jams the controls. It flies back behind and jams the controls, so I reached up with my left hand, that's right beside the stick, to grab it, and of course the throttle backed off. So I was upside down, and straight into the ground... <laughs> <laughs> Oops! Yeah, damaged aeroplane. Yeah. He was he was over there near the over the other side of the fence, and he leapt the fence, came racing out, and then the the F troop fell out of their chairs. They, they had their deck chairs on top of the fire truck and all that. They fell out of those and came <laughs> came rushing <laughs> over this bloody hose. Yeah, and then a big fight. Yeah, and there was a big fight. I said, "You put that bloody hose on my aeroplane, I'll flatten you." <laughs> and he said, "But a smoke," and I said, no, "That's just a smoke." you know, The The smoke that you make, the smoker. I said, don't worry about it, it's not going to burn. Yeah. And smothered in That's
5: their one chance.
2: Yeah, yeah they were. Yeah. They were waiting for the <laughs> Get The they are lined up, ready to go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They fell over themselves getting there. Watching part-time fires. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah.
4: Like
2: uh, <laughs> you can laugh about these. Things, but. Yeah, it's it's good at the mm. end, but not
1: during. No. Well, we'll wrap this one up. Okay. Chris Warren, thank you very much for chatting with us. Really appreciate Thanks, the chat. Thank Thanks, mate. Great to meet good. you. Good. Thank you, Hopeful Warren. Thanks. Okay, I'm standing here with Bernie Ferry next to his beautiful Cetabria 7 ECA. And Bernie, we're going to chat about this and some other aircraft and uh, that you've got and how you've gone with your flying over time. So first
5: of all, Bernie, uh, thanks for having a chat. And how's your Cetabria? Yeah, no, nah, very good. Now, I, I bought this uh, back in December off a, uh, a retired airline pilot who wasn't flying it much. And uh, so it was a good opportunity to get a, an aircraft that's it's uh, good, solid, Aeroplane. It's, uh, it's, yep. uh, it's a it's a basic trainer, and it's it's an aeroplane that uh, is good to fly, but it won't let you do anything you're not supposed to. So it, it pulls you up on all your mistakes. So yep. so it's a good plane to keep you honest. Very much yep. about energy management, isn't it? That's right. Yeah. Yep. So it's got the hundred you know the Lycoming uh, uh, two three five in it. Uh, okay. One hundred okay. and eighteen uh, horsepower, and you know it's adequate, but it's yep. it's not hasn't got tons of horsepower by any stretch of the imagination. Yep. Yeah. But uh, a lot of fun to fly. Oh, a lot of fun to fly. Yeah. Okay. And it's a stick aircraft, which I really enjoy. And being a tail dragger yep. uh, keeps your rudder, rudder feet going, so that's that's good. Yeah. yeah. Gets you good at dancing. Yeah. That's right. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. well, now I understand you have got another aircraft at home. Yeah, I've got another aircraft. It's a uh, a Balanca Cruiser. It's a fourteen thirteen two. It's the only one in Australia. Okay. It's a. Uh, it was built by just. It was actually designed by Giuseppe Balanca, yep. um, in America. but it was built in nineteen forty six. Oh wow. And uh, and he designed him to do. 150 miles an hour and 150 horsepower engine, okay. which a lot of composite aircraft do that today, but in 1946 that was a pretty quick aeroplane. Yep. So it's a, uh, and it's a tail drag, a low wing aeroplane with a uh, uh, a timber wing, it's got spruce front and rear spars and mahogany plywood wrapped over that. Oh wow. And and retractable undercarriage, which work off a, a torque tube which you want 32 turns yep. and, uh, and it, with bicycle chains winds the undercarriage up into the wing a la dc3 where yep. the half the wheel sticks out of oh, okay yep. yeah yeah so cool but it's a uh, very nice it's got a the the nickname is uh cardboard consolation because they've got a <laughs> uh, they've got a triple tail so, oh right yeah. Yeah, of course yep yeah yep. yep. yeah so they put them on there because uh when they when they built the plane and uh and did the first test flight they spun a little flat okay so they put them on to make them spin true okay yeah. How long have you had that one for? Uh, I bought that in 1990, and that flew out in uh, in the World Vintage Air Rally that okay. took place in 1990, yeah. uh, and the aircraft flew from England to Australia. Okay. So I was fl- flown out by a guy called Mark Rebolts, who was an American, yeah. and uh, took him 146 hours, and uh, they flew through the middle of the desert and oh, flew wow. through stand- sandstorms and... Uh, yeah, so they got all the way to Australia, and uh, he, f- he flew for United, uh, and you know how on compasses they have a Northern Hemisphere and a Southern Hemisphere yeah. dip? Well, when he got to Australia, being in the Southern Hemisphere, the compass was sitting at a strange angle, and he got hopelessly lost. <laughs> oh, no. got 200 miles off course. <laughs> Fortunately, he found a strip and landed on there and uh, found out where he was, and uh, finally made it to Caboolture, where the the uh, yeah. air alley finished. Yeah, so it's <laughs> a awesome. bit of history with it. Yeah. Mm. And uh, any reason why you didn't bring that one today? Uh, it's in a uh, thousand pieces in my shed at home. <laughs> yeah, that'd, that'd do it. <laughs> yeah, so it's under a full restoration at the moment. It was last recovered in 1966. Yep. So it's time for a good look around. So, but I've pulled it all apart and it's in very good condition inside. So, okay. a matter of uh, just rebuilding everything and recovering it and putting it back. So hopefully two years' time, I'll be, uh, I'll be flying it around. <laughs> you will have shelled out a few AMUs, as they call it. Yeah, yeah. exactly, yeah. yeah. It's, it's a good way of making a, a large fortune as long as you start... Uh, sorry, it's a good way of making a small fortune as long <laughs> as you start out with a big one, yeah. that's, that's the one. <laughs> yeah. So how long have you been flying, mate? Uh, I started flying when I was 18, which is in uh, 1978. Okay. And uh, it took me about 10 years to get my licence just due to... Financial constraints, yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, been flying ever since. Okay, yeah, cool. Yeah. Always loved it. Any spe- um, other aircraft you've had? Oh, well, I'm actually an aircraft mechanic by trade, oh, okay. and uh, I worked uh, down at Avalon Airfield for yep. many years. Uh, I serviced the Mirages down there, yep. and then um, and then we built the F 18s so oh, cool and in 1988, when the the F-18 project was just about complete I sort of thought I, I need another job because there's 800 guys looking for work yep. here uh, so I got actually got a job with mobile at uh, Altona and I've been working in an oil refinery ever since. Okay yeah so cool. Yeah. So you're looking forward to the Super Hornets when they arrive? Oh yeah I think the Super Hornets are not a bad machine but um, I think that uh, I, I think this, the Joint Strike fight will be here. A, a much more capable machine than the uh, the Super Hornet. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I was actually I was in America in October getting parts for my cruise there, and I happened to run into a Top Gun instructor because okay. because we're the, uh, the my propeller for my air, on, on the cruise air is called an Aromatic, okay. which it's a, it's an unusual propeller. And there's only one guy in the world that makes them, okay. and uh, and it's in a place called Fallon. And uh, well, while I was there and picking up the propeller, one of the the uh, Top Gun instructors. Uh, was giving us a hand and he told me told me what he did and I said oh tell me all about the super hornet yeah. and uh, he said look he said it's a very capable aircraft but um, he said it's um it's probably uh, a generation behind you know what they're coming up with yeah. now so he said yeah. it's a uh, he said unfortunately he said it'll do about he said it'll do about nearly two Mac but he said when they put the the uh, the fuel tanks on the wings, he said oh, yeah. it slows it down to about one point three. Yeah. And he said, and if you look at the geometry of how they've swung, hung the tanks off the wings, he said it's just shocking. Yeah. <laughs> he said that he said that when they're clean they're quite quick. Yeah. He said when they're not there yeah. when they it slows them right down. Well I could imagine once you hang anything off those those aircraft they can slow down a bit. Yeah. But yeah. he was he was saying that it's he, he was very much of the belief that uh it doesn't matter how capable the aircraft is, it's the person who's flying it that makes yeah. the difference of whether whether the uh, armaments will uh, do what they're supposed to do or not yeah, so. <laughs> yeah that's the truth on
1: that one that's yeah. so.
5: now anything else you'd like to say what I've got you here oh no no I think um, yeah look I'm, I'm a, uh, been passionate with aviation all my life you know yeah. I actually keep this at riddles uh, riddles Creek airfield and it's been a, a great little place to educate the the private pilot and mm-hmm. uh, you know a lot of a uh, lot of pilots here and uh, Ron Jackson who used to own the place who sadly died last year uh, you know he was he was a, you know, set up a uh, a great little aviation community that okay. still exists today. So, oh. yeah, I have to troop out there and say hi to everyone. Yeah, no, nah, for sure. Yeah, no, nah, Dave uh, Marshall runs it out there now and okay. does all the maintenance, and he's a he's a great guy, and uh, you know keeps keeps general aviation flying, which is which I'm all about. Yeah, yep. I think it's great. Yeah, it's a very important thing. Yeah.
1: Okay. Yeah, Thanks, no mate. Okay. Cool. Okay, I'm sitting here with Clint Ashton-Martin, who is the uh, owner and pilot of an absolutely beautiful Avro Cadet. We're going to have a quick chat with him about uh, his flying history and uh, that aircraft in particular. So thank you for having a chat with us.
6: Oh, it's my, my pleasure. Uh, I really enjoy my uh, my old vintage aeroplane, which um, was first delivered to the RAAF in uh, 1937, and there were only 34 of them uh, supplied to the RAF, and virtually none to any other air force. A few were supplied to uh, commercial uh, flying schools in the UK, uh, but they seem to have all disappeared and they've practically all disappeared from the Australian scene. There are only three left that are in any way close to original Um, and there are a a few others that uh, have been uh, (laughs) chewed about a bit and uh, not quite original. It was uh, bought as a Trainer, and it was a competitor of the Tiger Moth um, for uh, the contract for the RAF in the UK and uh, it was not selected by the RAF uh, primarily because it flew too nicely and they selected the Tiger Moth which is uh, not a particularly nice aeroplane to fly <laughs> I hope I'm not offending anybody, but uh, they felt that it would sort the men out from the boys. So the, um, the, the Avro was uh, selected, of course, by the RAAF um, primarily, I'd say, because the boys wanted a nice aeroplane to fly and instruct in. How long have you owned the aircraft? I bought the uh, aeroplane, uh, which had been partly stripped down, uh, ready for restoration uh, about 13 years ago and um, it took me about 11 years to uh, restore it and get it back into the air. So it's been, it's been uh, flying now for very nearly uh, two years. Okay. It's a very uh, pleasant aeroplane to fly um, and um, it has, of course, the, 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 the problems of uh, having a, a radial engine instead of the usual inline, which means that it's pretty hard on the oil consumption yeah. and in fact it it, it uses 3 litres, litres an hour Whoa. of oil <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, How much fuel does it burn in oil? It burns about uh, all 37 38 litres an hour of fuel okay. uh, so uh, my oil costs are very very significant in <laughs> getting close to my fuel costs I <laughs> um wow. anyway that's the way of, uh, of radials and that uh, oil consumption is exactly what the makers claimed for it back when they first ran those sorts of engines in the early 1930s. Being being a seven-cylinder radial engine, uh, it means that uh, it's very smooth and there's a lot less uh, vibration in the aeroplane than you have with your usual four-cylinder motor. Yes, I I restored this this, uh, aeroplane, but I had previously built one a home-built called a Thorpe T-18, which only took uh, seven and a half years, yep. um, and I, I finished it in um, 1986. Yep. It's a, a little pocket rocket, um, and um, uh, it was the first design ever produced for home builders to build an all-metal aeroplane. cruises around 150 knots, uh, the mine is at 165 knots because uh, it's got a big engine and propeller on it. So I, I've been playing with aeroplanes for uh, well, 30 years, I suppose, okay. one way or another. When did you first learn to fly? I learned to fly in England as a, um, uh, an RAF reservist. Okay. And um, I was a member of uh, uh, Oxford University Air Squadron. Okay. And we learned to fly on chipmunks. Then we graduated to Harvard's, and um, my, my group of 17 were the last people in the RAF to get their wings on piston-engine aeroplanes. Oh, wow. And uh, then we went off and did a jet conversion. I went to uh, Vampires, yep. and uh, half the fellas went on, on to Meteor. Then I came. Then I came back home to Australia, and um, so I've I've been flying for about 57 years. Most of that time, I've had to uh, pay for it myself as a private pilot, (laughs) (laughs) which is not so much fun. Sort of a varied, uh, varied career. And I bought my first uh, airplane around about 1978. Been uh, getting my fingers dirty with airplanes ever since. <laughs> and, uh, so that's the uh, that's the background. So when I when I I'd sort of run out of uh, airplane projects and was getting a bit bored, and uh, the Avro Cadet was advertised, and I went and saw it and bought it, and um, it has um, quite unique. Engine. Uh, it's it's uh, the engine is, was made by Armstrong Siddeley, yep. and um, uh, I got two engines with the uh, project, and uh, both of them were freshly overhauled in 1942 okay. by Qantas Empire Airways <laughs> wow. for the for the RAAF. So um, I thought that. Uh, no, I was right with the two nicely newly overhauled engines but um, what uh, what I found is that in those days an overhaul was not turning the aeroplane back to uh, original specifications oh, okay. um, and if it measured up then it went back in and some of the uh, parts are fairly well worn but, <laughs> but still it's all within, within the maker's specifications so okay. it's a bit different and yep. um, Uh, I've had uh, quite a few little problems with it. Uh, Trying to stem oil leaks, of course, has been a major thing. I've had magneto troubles because the magnetos were very old, and uh, I just cannot buy uh, spares at all. So anybody out there who knows of an SG7 BDH magneto, contact me. I had to move house... You know, a couple of times while I was restoring the the aeroplane yep. um, one uh, the first one it got sort of caught up in the middle of a bushfire Ouch. and we were running around uh, removing uh, particularly the timber bits and pieces of it um, to, uh, to a fireproof garage and and the, uh, the, the fire came through uh, past the house. Uh, this was down in Sydney, yeah. and, um, uh, and and almost engulfed the uh, timber uh, workshop that I had. But um, the, fortunately, uh, it, it didn't it didn't catch fire. Don't know why, but uh, it, lucky yeah, we were lucky. And, because if you lose something like that, it's um, It's it's lost forever. Mm. uh, The other thing that's of interest is that um, a a gentleman who has uh, the only other really original Avro Cadet in Australia did a lot of research and um, uh, found a set of drawings... When the aeroplane was supplied to Australia, part of the contract specified that they provide the government with a complete set of drawings for the aeroplane, which they did. And since then, uh, there's been a big fire at um, the back back of the factory, and all the drawings are gone. Oh, wow. So the only drawings in existence uh, are the ones that were uh, in the archives down in Melbourne, which he ferreted out. So we have 700 drawings, which we've now got on disc. But unfortunately, that's only about half the drawings for the whole aeroplane. So... Everything that you really want isn't there.
1: <laughs> it's the usual way, isn't it? It's yeah. Like, you don't need that bit, don't
6: need that but. That's yeah. right. So, it's an interesting thing that's happened.
1: Well, thanks, Clint. I appreciate your time, and uh, thank you. It's a beautiful aircraft. Thanks for keeping it flying. My pleasure.
7: Welcome to your flight experience. You're strapped into the pilot seat of a 737 flight simulator. You advance throttles and power down the runway. Cleared for the visual. You're up and away.
8: Flight experience is exhilarating, unique and a whole lot of fun. It's the ultimate gift. So strap in someone you love with a gift voucher today.
7: Your destination, one of 20,000 airports around the
8: world. Call 1-800-737-800 or visit flightexperience.com.au Flight experience, the ultimate flying experience. I'm Matt Hall. Hi, I'm Matt Hall. I'm Matt Hall.
9: No, I'm Matt Hall. No, I'm Matt Hall.
3: Everyone wants to be Australia's champion Red Bull Air Race pilot, and now you can own a piece of Matt Hall memorabilia. Polos, t-shirts and caps for all shapes and sizes can be found at matthallracing.com. Just go to the online store and you too can be in the loop. Hello, I'm Matt Hall. <laughs>
2: Well, howdy. I'm baggage handler Chuck Armstrong from juniorfly.com. When I'm not sending your luggage donation to Siberia, I'm listening to Steve and Grant from Plane Crazy Down Under. I know they could use a donation. I think I'll send in your
8: bags. Pilot Stu here from the Pilot's Journey podcast. You're listening to Plane Crazy Down Under, where it's what's down under that counts. Now back to Grant and Steve, the masters of sound effects.
0: And welcome back, folks. Uh, Grant, were they some really interesting conversations? Uh, Clint Ashton Martin, his plane was in just gleaming condition that day we were there.
1: Oh, yeah. We, he did put a lot of effort into uh, getting it looking good for the show, and it totally paid off. It was one of the highlights. And uh, I, I loved watching it come and go, uh, especially towards the end when most people were leaving. He was uh, putting a few people through flights, and uh, absolutely wonderful to to look at that aircraft and hear it flying, watch it in the air. It uh, really goes back to uh, a glory days of aviation.
0: And the great thing about this air show too, Grant, is it's in a little out-of-the-way airstrip, which, uh, funny enough, sits right under one of the approach paths for Melbourne Airport. <laughs> uh, so yeah. it wasn't uncommon during that day to, uh, you know, you, you're watching all these rather vintage aircraft pottering around and then you could look a few thousand feet skyward and you'd see, you know, an A340 or, you know, a Qantas 737 flying overhead on approach to Melbourne Airport. So uh, it would have been quite a challenge that day to keep the, you know, the display aircraft out of controlled airspace. Um, They they actually did have some air traffic control guys there uh, doing a great job making sure that uh, everything went smoothly. And uh, we've got an interview there with uh, these guys that's coming up in this block. Also, Andrew Temby. Now, you may remember, folks, back in one of our very early episodes, uh, we had a great chat with uh, Andrew Temby, or Grant did. Grant's been up several times in his uh, Yak 52. And uh, so there's a quick chat with Andrew, who also put a display on that day. And we'll finish the block off with a chat with Glenn Butchard. Uh, Glenn was actually the organizer of the air show and uh, made sure that everything uh, was there on the day and uh, was responsible for uh, the overall smooth running of the event.
1: Once again, I've got the pleasure of chatting with Andrew Temby here. at yak is Yak52TW. Andrew, how are you
9: doing? G'day, Grant. Yeah, we're doing well, mate. Just done the big air show here, and it's yep. been a lot of fun today. Yep. Had some great acts here, and uh, hope the guys enjoyed what we did here with the Yak. But, um, oh, look, I had fun, and I, I suppose in some respects, that's half of what it's about, having fun. Yeah, no, definitely. It looked like you you're doing a pretty good show up there. Yeah, thanks, mate. Thanks, mate. No, it was enjoyable. A little bit of dust, but... Yeah. Uh, other than the dust, the weather's been perfect for us, yep. and uh, uh, I guess the location's good too for aerobatic display. Yeah, although you're a bit constrained with that two and a half
1: thousand step aloft and things like that. So, but you got your clearance and your codes, and we're all okay to do it. What 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 height did you get to
9: today? Yeah, look, I got went through probably two and a half thousand, um, but. ATC have been fantastic and they gave us good clearances today really good we actually got a clearance on the ground here and uh, they gave us a 10 minute slot and and up to 6,000 not that I needed that height but no they were really handy to us good and the the organisation's been good here the air traffic control stuff's been really really spot on Um, so uh, anything else on today's show? Oh, no, look, um, Spirou, look, he's magic man. Like, I just yeah. can't believe that guy. You know, he's been at it for a million years, and, and it looks like it. He's just so perfect all the time. He's yeah. just absolute brilliance. And, look, he's not a spring chicken either, but um, his act is, is just is just sensational. Yeah. Uh, his positioning, his, his programming, his timing, everything is just so, so methodical and nicely done every yeah. time. He's clean as a whistle, that guy. So it's just... It's just really good to see great, great pilots, you know, and he is, I guess he is one of Australia's really great, great pilots, yeah. and uh, he's certainly, certainly been an inspiration to me over the years, just to, not that I really know him at all, but uh, it's, he's he just, he's absolutely magic and someone to um, keep an eye on how he does things, and, and uh, lots of professional pilots, air show pilots, really need to, um, I guess take that some of that professionalism and apply it, I guess, to, to their own airshow display work. Yeah. yeah, no, I get what you're saying. You've got to fly it like you mean it. Yeah, no, it's all good. Yep. But, uh, it was good to see the 107 fly today. I haven't seen one yeah. of them fly before, and they're a magic little aeroplane, and beautifully built. Rain has absolutely done a superb job on that, and yep. And uh, obviously wins the uh, SAAA awards for Best aeroplane <laughs> and all those kind of things, and rightly yeah. so. It's an absolutely superb job of build. Yeah, and uh, he's flying it quite nicely too. Yeah, no, we should be chatting with him later. He's he's quite happy to come on the show, but yeah, he's just too good. pushed for time today. Yeah. But uh, so, what else have you been up to since last we chatted? Oh, mate. Uh, just been. I've been a working man and uh, doing a lot of work. A little bit of boating. A little yep. bit or a lot of boating and uh, um, flying around the yak a bit. It's cool. Doing a few few arrows in the yak which is um i guess number one priority it's got to be get out in the plane i think yeah but um no that's all i've been doing a bit okay. of boating and working okay anything else you'd like to say what i got you here before you fly off no mate just thanks for coming out and interviewing us all again it's all yep. good thing it's it's great that um we've got interested people like yourself to uh i guess spread the word that air shows are a happening thing in australia oh yeah it's great fun thanks mate appreciate yeah. your time thanks grant okay. Cheers, mate. cheers buddy <laughs>
1: OK, folks, I'm standing up here at the uh, top of the tower that's uh, being the centre of operations for the air show today with three likely gentlemen who uh, will hopefully tell us their real names and uh, let us know what's been going on up
7: here. <laughs> I'm spot known as Mark Spedding, by people who don't know me. <laughs> uh, no, it's been a great day. It was a nice, tidy show. We have had time to look at some of it. It's really hard when you've got a one-day show, especially when you've got people who aren't on site, getting it all a to mesh together, everyone thinking the same way. Yeah. And, yeah, and the arrivals and departures, yep. letting them know what you want and communicating, basically.
1: That would be Melbourne Airport arrival and departures, the international airport there?
7: Yeah. No, 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 just here, oh, just okay. here, just coordinating it all. Oh, okay. and, yeah, you know, when you've got people who want to land and people want to take off and people have different ideas of how to do it, that's, that's where the problem is. Yep. The rest of it, it's basically common sense and reminding pilots what they should do anyway. <laughs> it's all good.
1: Was that the word common sense in pilots? <laughs> <It's>... <laughs>
7: <laughs> oh, it needs to be. Yeah. I, I, I didn't say they had it. I said you had to remind them of what <laughs> they do if they had it, and most of them did. So it was the three of you up here taking turns at doing the unicorn. Yeah, we uh, were yeah, doing the donkey work. We had the boss who was telling us what he wanted artistically, and we try and translate into that the uh, things a pilot can do without sort of endangering yep. each other.
1: So, so, yeah, because you had the CTAF frequency and your own airshow frequency. That's
7: right. We have the CTAF frequency, and that stays the CTAF frequency during the show. So anyone else that sort of turns up and yeah. everyone on the ground, we can get all there once organised and try and keep the display frequency just for the guys that are on display. Uh, Minimises distractions. You don't want when someone's doing an outside loop and his engine's howling away, oh, was that the... Oh, sorry. Was that the, <laughs> it's okay. Is <laughs> that the guys on the ground talking to me because yeah yeah, yeah. No, minimizing either. distractions for them okay yeah. especially when you've got formations when they got to chat to each other yeah no, definitely. <coughs> so the formations were chatting on the um, air show frequency or did they have their own uh all the ones today were chatting on ours and you know it's all very abbreviated um you know echelon left go or uh okay judy come on in but you know you have to give them airtime to do it so how long have you been doing air shows mate um, I got recruited by Filthy for my first air show in 2003 at Avalon, and I think this is my, about my 15th. And uh, what, do you, what do you normally do during the day? <coughs> Not a lot. I'm a shift worker. I work at uh, Melbourne Airport in okay. air traffic control. Yep. At work, I sit at a desk and I tell aeroplanes what to do, and the, the green symbol on the yep. screen moves when I tell them. Uh, and here... You tell them what to do and a dirty big aeroplane goes off across the sky. It's a lot more fun. Cool. Anything else you want to say about the show? I don't know. It's great fun. hope there'll be plenty more. My name's Shane
2: Austin. Yep. I'm uh, also an air traffic controller at Roan. I work with with Spod and um, and Phil. Once again, it's good to be able to give back to the community. To, you know, We volunteer to do this sort of stuff, so yep. it's good to be able to give back to the aviation community. Yep, cool. So... Um, so we found it, uh, you know, it was a good show today. You know, local, a lot of local acts and, um, you know, local people pulling, pulling together to, to uh, put on a good show. Yep. And a, at a, at a good good event. So it's, it's worked out well. Yeah. No, how many air shows have you done before? Started doing air shows at Avalon back in 95. Yep. And so I've done them every couple of years. Yep. Uh, I've also worked at Mangalore and uh, Point Cook with Phil and, and Mark. Okay. And... Um, done air, air displays and air shows when I was a, a military controller at Nara and okay, at yeah. um, Oakey up in Queensland at the Army um, yep. at the Army Centre.
1: Cool, that's a big history there. Yeah, well, I've okay. been doing air traffic since yeah. 1982 So, Phil, did you want to have have a chat? Right. Phil, what, what's your name and how long have you been doing uh, air shows mate? Yeah,
4: uh, Filthy I've been doing air shows since about 95 and back in the old Mangalore days so I used to work with Shane and uh, couple of other guys up there doing the the unicorn and the air show and then sort of graduated from that so air shows from one end of australia to the other really so yeah we just do it as a voluntary thing as Shane said it's uh, just a way to put something back into the aviation industry it's yeah.
1: given us good careers so you're, you're an air traffic controller by day and uh, and night and doggos and so on and uh, do this when, when you can get around the country yeah well,
4: well actually, actually <laughs> I used to be um, I've recently uh, hung up my headset for the time being and I work in our uh, in Air Services Australian Safety Department at the minute so
1: anything to say about this uh, this show
4: today uh, no well you couldn't have asked for better weather for an air uh, show really it was lovely day yeah. Usually we've got to put up with howling wind or often rain or whatever, but uh, today was terrific. Good little show, really.
1: Anything else you want to say?
4: Well, I suppose uh, the main thing would be, um, one of the things that set this air show apart was the location of Melton, which is pretty close to Tullamarine Airport. So we had a congested little bit of airspace and there's quite a bit of... um, work to do with Melbourne approach yep. to get access to the airspace for the aircraft that needed to go a bit higher than the CDA steps. Yep. That was sort of my role during the day was really doing that coordination and
1: okay. yeah,
4: that, that uh, d- very good to us to, to give yep. us access when we needed it. Yeah
1: I noticed during the uh, briefing Yeah, we were right underneath the two and a half step, the one and a half's just there and three and a half be- behind us now so uh, that would put a bit of complexity on it.
4: Yeah well it does it makes it a little bit more difficult than some air shows where you've got a bit less airspace restriction to do with but uh, as I said the, the guys at, the guys on approach were very good to us so we're able to facilitate access to that upper airspace for okay. for our traffic. Okay, well thanks very much. Appreciate it. Thanks for letting me up here for have a chat. That's mm-hmm.
1: all right. Thanks guys, appreciate your time. Okay, I'm standing here with uh, Glenn Butchard. Um He's the air show organizer of the Centenary Air Show. Glenn, how'd it go?
10: Oh, look, I think uh, the day went off very well. The uh, the comments were very uh, very positive, and I think
1: everyone had a, a great day. You're certainly blessed by the weather. It uh, couldn't get much better for an air show.
10: Oh, look, I've worked at air shows before, and the weather's been terrible. But today was just uh, absolutely perfect. Light yeah. winds, clear skies. It was a great
1: day. Now, how long did how long were you planning this air show from conception to production? How long did it go?
10: I think the initial conception was about two years ago, and uh, you know, the, certainly the last six months have been a, a fairly big task load sort of uh, as we got closer to the day, but uh, it was just over two years a lot.
1: Okay, uh, lots of dealing with CASA and who else? Insurance, things like that. Who are the type of people you had to deal with to make this happen?
10: Uh, everything from uh, the caterers um, and marquee providers right through to uh, to CASA, the council, and uh, uh, the insurance providers. And uh, CASA are actually were very, very helpful in the process, and uh, as were the other uh, organisations involved as well. Cool. Have you uh, done air shows before? I've worked at the Avalon Airshow before okay. in uh, flight operations here, but uh, I've never actually organised an airshow from scratch, so uh, it was a first. Was a first experience for me. Would you do it again? Uh, absolutely. Uh, look, a lot of lessons learned on this one, but uh, I'd do it again definitely.
1: Cool. Um, how'd you go about getting uh, people to show up in terms of the uh, aircraft and, and the acts and the displays?
10: That was uh, fairly hard because it was a uh, look. It was a charity event, and uh, a lot of these people like to get paid for their flights, and and understandably. But uh, I offered to uh, put fuel in the aeroplanes for them, and uh, we had a lot of uh, generous people uh, come down with their aeroplanes today. Judy Pay in particular, yep. and uh, and a number of others uh, that that came a long way with uh, with fantastic aeroplanes uh, out of the generosity because of the uh, the occasion of the centenary, yep. and also for the cause. So yep. uh, we were very very pleased with the uh, with the outcome from that.
1: Who were the sponsors for the air show? Did
10: you get many big names? As far as the sponsors, the Shire of Melton was a, was a sponsor, uh, QBE uh, provided uh, a lot of the insurance for the day, uh, companies like Cathay Pacific provided some of the other prizes, a couple of return tickets to Hong Kong, uh, Sydney Model Show, some of the local companies, Avis, and okay. uh, some of the others, so it was probably about uh, 15, 20 or up, diggersrest.com, one of the uh, the local uh, groups out at um, Diggers Rest, cool. and uh, uh, we, we had some good support from, uh, some, from some of the smaller local groups as well.
1: Okay. Any particular moments of fun or tension or things like that in the... The show that, that you want to talk about oh, there's always a couple of little things I guess
10: uh, some of the disappointments the uh, the RAF initially had uh, two aircraft a Sopwith with pup and a uh, tiger moth come out of at uh, a point cook which uh, both had a radio failure uh, it, it puts a bit of a hole in the program but <laughs> <laughs> uh, most of the other uh, most of the other acts were pretty well behaved and uh, in actual fact the air traffic control guys said it went pretty smoothly for an air show so yep. I think uh, we, we're fairly lucky
1: um, on, on, the, on the day okay anything else you'd like to say?
10: Uh, look, I'd like to thank everybody, uh, particularly the, uh, the, the the public, the pilots uh, and everybody that was involved in the uh, in the event. It was a, uh, a great deal of effort was put in by a, a number of people and uh, you know, I'd like to thank them for all for their time, which they gave uh, you know, generously for, for free. And uh, it's um, I think it was a fitting way to celebrate the uh, centenary of aviation in Australia.
1: Yep. No, it was very good. Thank you. Um, Glenn, thank you very much for putting this together. I think it's time for your well-earned beer, yeah?
10: I'll certainly be going cracking the top on one
1: right now, actually. <laughs> Congratulations. Thanks, Thanks very much. Thank you, sir. Well, there you go, folks. I uh, hope you enjoyed those chats that we recorded on the day at the air show. But now through the miracle of modern technology and a little bit of procrastination, we've managed to uh, bring the past and the present together. We decided, given it's been quite some time since the show, now would be a really good time to have a chat with Glenn Butchart again and find out just how everything settled. When I last spoke to him, as you heard before, it was right at the end of the day. It had been a pretty hectic time for him. It was over. The dust was settling and uh, he was getting ready for a good beer. Well, it's been a few months now, and here we are chatting with Glenn. He agreed to come back and have a chat with us again and uh, tell us how the air show wound up. Well, folks, we're here with Glenn Butchard, who is the brains behind the Melton Air Show that we attended back in March. And uh, as you've already heard through the show, we've had quite a few interviews that we recorded back then, including one that I recorded with Glenn right at the very end of the day, just before he went off for a well-earned beer. Uh, now that the dust has well and truly settled and we're getting this episode out at last, we thought we'd give Glenn a, a yell and have a chat with him about uh, how it all went now that uh, he's got uh, the benefit of hindsight. Glenn, welcome to, back to the show. Thanks very much, Grant. Good to uh, be here. Thanks. How did you go with the recovery? How long did it take you to you felt human again after the show? Uh, look! It, it took a good uh, good month, I think.
10: Afterwards, uh, quite quite a bit of follow up as far as administration goes after the uh, the show. So you know, the end of the show wasn't the end of the uh, event from my point of view, but yeah, sort of after a month, I think I was uh, pretty much back to normal.
1: So uh, what were, what did go on? Obviously, you had the uh, the immediate end of the day party, but uh, were you able to get away to that beers pretty much straight away after the, everyone left?
10: actually uh, actually, after the air show itself um, I was taken for a fly in uh, clint Ashton Martin's uh, Avro mark II Cadet, so it was a uh, a nice way to uh, to finish the day and excellent.
1: Uh, it's a beautiful plane.
10: It was a lovely aircraft, actually yeah, beautiful to fly and uh, nice to get into um, something different to uh, to what I usually fly. Um, and after that uh, yeah the for the first beer came very soon afterwards, so uh, <laughs> Well, I did get a chance to go and enjoy that for a while it
0: Definitely. was a uh, it was a beautiful collection of uh, vintage aircraft that you had there on the day, dayglen uh, did it take much organizing to uh, get that sorted out and get those aircraft there
10: it, it did actually the one of the issues that we had is that uh, this is a one-off air show and uh, as I hadn't I'd worked at air shows but hadn't previously run one it was uh, took a bit of uh, organizing to get people to to come down particularly as it was uh, a, a voluntary. Uh, effort on most of the people uh, participating in the event. But uh, we were very fortunate to have some uh, fantastic support from people like David and Caroline Salter who brought down their uh, uh, Moth Miner, Clint obviously in his uh, Avro Cadet and, and a number of other aircraft from around the country. Uh, Mark Carr in uh, his uh, Wingeel and uh, his Moth as well. It was a, uh, a real credit to the people that, uh, that did volunteer their aircraft duty pay and a number of others as well.
1: That uh, Merlin-powered P-40 was a beautiful sound.
10: No, it's just a magnificent aircraft. The only one of its kind in Australia, and
1: uh, it's just a delightful
10: aircraft to watch and uh, and listen to.
1: I think it was Guy Burke who was flying it that day. He put on quite a good show.
10: He did put on a great show. Actually, it was Guy Burke. That's right.
1: It was quite a few months in the, if not years, in in the making. So, what was what went on in the immediate days after? How did you wind it all down? Uh, the initial. A couple of days after the event
10: was getting the airfield back to its original state so that uh, it was uh, as good as or better than we found it. Then the process of just tying up the administrative side from, uh, from the organisation, settling of accounts and, uh, and that side of things, putting out uh, reports into the council, uh, the, the people that we sort of held the event for. So there's quite a bit of administrative work uh, from that point of view. And it was uh, for me. It was pretty much straight back to work.
1: So with the accounts, I take it everything went okay. It didn't didn't wind up being a big loss or anything like that. Uh,
10: uh, look, look, there was there was somewhat of a loss. I think there are probably a few reasons behind that. But uh, look, at the end of the day, we had a turnout of about seven thousand people. The main purpose of the event was to one um, celebrate the centenary, which I think we we managed to do that. We had some uh, coverage on uh, Channel Seven News that night, and uh, obviously the local media. It was to provide an event that uh, the Shire of Elton could be uh, could be proud of for their own residents, which I think we achieved, and uh, a day for the uh, the grassroots aviation side of things, uh, plus uh, Angel Flight who were the uh, the beneficiary of the event as well.
1: So what what has the general feedback been that you've received from groups like, for example, CASA and things like that?
10: CASA were particularly happy with the way the event w- was run. Uh, obviously, in any event, there's going to be a few minor problems that come up, but they were very happy on the day. And, uh, from CASA's point of view, they were very very helpful in uh, setting up the event or assisting with the uh, the application process as well. From uh, the people that I had working, the volunteers, most of who have worked at uh, previous air shows, uh, and also the public. Uh, there, there was, in general positive feedback from across the board in the way that the event was uh, was run, the, the uh, aircraft that we had there at the time and uh, and, and the way that the other volunteers were, uh, I guess, were treated at the event as well. It was an event for everybody to enjoy, not just be a, uh, a working participant in.
0: Did you uh, have an issue with, uh, or more to the point, how did uh, CASA feel about the, uh, the ATC issues? You were doing a lot of aerobatics there and, of course, the Melton Airfield is in uh, reasonably close proximity to Melbourne Airport. I think uh, quite often they had to get a, a bit of a clearance, didn't they, to do any of those uh, displays?
10: That was an issue that uh, we had to deal with. Uh, We had three uh, current air traffic controllers working on the day Uh, but but all three of them worked at air shows such as uh, Avalon and uh, Bundaberg and uh, with their help and with the help of Air Services Australia we managed to secure uh, a five mile uh, radius of airspace up to 6,000 feet for the entire four hour period of the air show which uh, was a um, a, a tremendous effort on behalf of all those involved, uh, CASA Air Services and the ATC guys we had on the day. Uh, It allowed for an uninterrupted Airshow, Melbourne uh, Airport. The air traffic controllers there did a fantastic job in rerouting aircraft around the uh, the airspace. It was uh, uh, very much appreciated for the day and, and enabled the uh, the airshow to proceed uh, smoothly without any uh, delays due to uh, air traffic.
0: It was interesting. It kind of brought it home to you, like it's almost a rather rural setting there at that at that little airfield. But uh, every now and again, you'd look up and see, you know, an A330 or something just coming in quite low overhead. It sort of brings it home to you that how close you were to the airport. But uh, it was a credit to everybody there that it seemed to run so smoothly from our perspective.
10: No, it certainly was. I mean, that, that, that uh, Melton Airfield sits underneath the uh, the main departure point off runway 16 out of Melbourne uh, and also runway 27, just being 13 miles off the end. So it was it was a real credit to everybody on the day. Uh, Melbourne Airport put most of the departures off the north-south runway, uh, which is their secondary runway as, as a rule. So they, they really went out of their way to, uh, to assist on the day. I uh, can't thank the guys out there uh, enough for that.
1: I believe you're just underneath a 3,000-foot step there or maybe two, two and a half. I'm not sure which step it is at that point but it's it's quite low for a, for a show going on underneath it
10: it's two and a half thousand feet plus the airfield elevation of 600 feet so it doesn't give a lot of room for maneuvering some of the low level aircraft uh, the antiques and whatnot it's not a problem but when you start getting things like the uh, the vampire and the P p40 and uh, some of the aerobatics uh, you sort of require access to a bit higher airspace so uh, without that we wouldn't have been able to put on a uh, the display like we did on, on the day
1: all up, it went well. Everyone was uh, was quite happy for it. So uh, now, you, as you said, it was a one-off show. It was the centenary. But do you have plans to do any other air shows coming up?
10: Not at this stage. Uh, I do work at the uh, the Avalon Air Show as a, uh, as a volunteer in uh, flight operations. So uh, that'll be the next event. But uh, as far as uh, other air shows, it may be something i look at uh, in the future. But uh, there's nothing on the horizon at this stage.
1: Well, Glenn, have you any other comments you've got on the air show and uh, any other lessons learned you want to tell us about? The, the main thing
10: is to uh, to have a or uh, well, What I certainly learned was have a good team working with you. Uh some great people: Gary Jarvis, Mick Jennings, uh, Phil Vibry, um, and, and a number of others. Uh, we had about a hundred volunteers on the day. Uh, without a, a good team of volunteers, uh, no event would be possible. I, I think make it uh, an event that uh, incorporates a lot of uh, uh, features for the um, I guess for the participating pilots and volunteers. Make it an event about them rather than just the commercial aspect, uh, and that seems to go down well. At the end of the day, I'd just like to thank the volunteers that we had, the people that donated aircraft and the, uh, the general public for making the event a uh, success and uh, promoting the uh, centenary of aviation. When you look at what was put on overseas for the celebrations of the Wright brothers and what we had to work with or what we didn't have to work with, I think we put on a, a great event. It was yeah, a wonderful
0: yeah. event and it was a, a great celebration of flight and it was good to see not only that the, you know, the I guess the rather small aviation community in this, you know, in this part of the world comes together, but uh, like you say, it was good to see quite a lot of uh, people who perhaps... Perhaps are not normally into aviation, uh, taking the time to come down and have a bit of a look. So from that standpoint, it's, it's always a success when you see that sort of thing happening.
10: No, that's exactly right. It was uh, good to see people coming from right across the country, actually. Uh, people made a great effort, I think, uh, for the locals. It, it's it's uh, Country airfields are disappearing these days, and uh, most of the major air shows tend to be uh, in the uh, remote regional areas or at uh, major airports. So it was uh, nice to see a, uh, a local airport uh, that's still in existence near the Melbourne metropolitan area sort of put on a display for the, uh, the local residents. So from that point of view, it was, uh, it was great to see some of the people that may not have normally gone to uh, an event like this.
1: Okay, well... Uh- uh, we're going to be at Avalon as well next year. We'll be doing the media thing, so uh, hopefully we'll catch up with you then and say hi.
10: I'll definitely see you down there at some stage, Grant.
1: Thanks very much for coming back with us, Glenn, and uh, giving us that post-post event wrap up. Very much appreciated, mate.
10: No, appreciate that, and uh, thanks for your uh, coverage and support on the day too, Grant. Uh, muchly appreciated.
8: Looking for a studio to record your next project? From recording and song production to music videos, disc duplication and DVD presentation kits designed to get you you noticed. noticed. Audiovisual Media is more than just a recording studio. It's a complete solution for musicians with recording and music video packages available. Record your next project at Audiovisual Media and score free studio time. To find out how, visit our website at www.audiovisualmedia.com.au or call us on 0407091. 1524
5: Hello everybody. This is Robert Sigliano from the new pilot pod blog. The aviation podcast from the perspective of a new private pilot. So come join me on my journey as I transition from a student pilot to a private pilot. I will be discussing my goals for my first 100 hours, my flights, my adventures, my successes and failures. I've also thrown in a few interviews as well, so check me out in iTunes or at the New Pilot Pod blog, the blogspot.com on Twitter as newpilotpodblog, or on my transponder as
8: lipilot. Is your company in the aviation industry? Advertising your business on our podcasts is an easy and inexpensive way of reaching the growing online aviation community. Whether a conversational infomercial or radio-style ad, we can produce advertisements tailored to your target market and budget. We can also use your own pre-produced commercial. With an audience of pilots, professionals and enthusiasts across the Asia-Pacific region and growing around the world through increasing cross-promotion with other online media, this is a great alternative to traditional advertising. For further information, simply go to our website, www.playingcrazydownunder.com and click on the Advertising With Us link. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, wherever you're listening
2: in from. I'm Sajid Ahmed from FleetBuzzEditorial.com, and I'm here with the guys from Plain Crazy Down
10: Under, and we hope you enjoy the podcast.
0: Well, folks, he's been there, and now he's back, and more importantly, he's here. Did you like that? With us, it's Owen's Up. G'day, Owen.
11: G'day, guys. How are you?
0: Welcome back, mate. How'd the flight go? And uh, we thought we might do a bit of a uh, wrap-up of the uh, of the trip now. You're back safely?
11: Yeah, it went fantastically. I couldn't have um, hoped for any better. It, it, in the planning phases, you put together a, how you anticipate it'll go, and you've got a fair idea from a, an operational perspective, but you can never anticipate the warmth of the people or the beauty of the scenery to the full extent, so it exceeded expectations in that way.
0: Excellent, mate. And uh, just having a look at the uh, the website, we might touch on some of your websites changes in a minute but uh, you've you've put a wrap up there on the blog so uh, where's the what's happened to the plane now what's uh, Jabberu going to do with the plane now that you finish with it
11: I believe they're hanging on to it in fact um, the owner of the company Rod Stiff actually suggested it might become his private aircraft I think it was kept in its there and back markings for the Queen's birthday weekend uh, it was going to a, a fly-in I believe that weekend but they were going to revert it back to the Jabaru scheme and it was going to stay in-house at Bundaberg I believe they were very happy with the aircraft and keep it for themselves, which I'd do myself if I could have. <laughs> yeah.
0: So was that good an aircraft? I know we had a chat with you when you were here in Melbourne and you were telling us how impressed you were with the aircraft. Now that you've done the trip and uh, it's it's back there, tell us um, you know some of the aspects of flying it and, and what are what are its good points and maybe you know does it have any drawbacks in your view?
11: Yeah. Well, the the aircraft obviously it was one of two variables that you you don't have real control over. The first one was the weather and the second one was aircraft reliability and. I'd factored in layover days in case something went amiss, etc. and nothing did whatsoever. The aircraft performed faultlessly. It, it burnt about 24 litres an hour and on average tazzed out at 117 knots, which for an aircraft carrying two people and 135 litres of fuel, potentially, is, is very impressive. So, from me, from from my perspective, I should say, it met every performance parameter, in fact, exceeded it, that I set in the planning phase. Uh, The strengths of the aircraft, definitely great visibility. It's lightweight for manoeuvring on the ground when you're on a solo flight there were places where I fueled up and then had to manoeuvre the aircraft over reasonably rugged roads and tracks to get it to where I could park it for the night and you're on your own and it's lightweight I think around 340 kilograms basic weight makes it quite easy to manoeuvre so that's a real strength of it. In the flying capacity it trims out beautifully when you get it on the step and you're not forever having to put inputs or retrim the aircraft so for long sector lengths it's got the legs to do it but it is also not a fatiguing aircraft yeah, to do yeah. it in so yeah, nice. I found it an ideal aircraft for this this journey
1: great great for U plus one and gear
11: exactly and if it's in the vh registered category with an experimental tag on the side it can get up to 700 kilograms max wow. takeoff weight so if you think of that in terms of 340 kilograms base weight roughly 100 kilograms for fuel you're up yeah. to 440 from 700 <laughs> you're looking at 260 kilos for people and bags mm, that's with full good. fuel so you, so fly for five hours two people and that many yeah. bags it, there's not too many lighties that can do that
0: no not many and you certainly couldn't do that in a 150 <laughs>
11: no no well or my tomahawk. Well, yeah. Or my yeah, tomahawk, yeah. and and having flown tomahawks uh, reasonably extensively, you couldn't help but find yourself sitting there always drawing the parallel or the comparison as you sat there in the aircraft going gee well I couldn't be doing this or gee I'd Mm -hmm. have to land there for fuel and you couldn't help but draw the parallel all the time and I'd say the the Jabiru won hands down
1: on most of those issues. Plus it was a a newer aircraft, uh, better kit out, better feel and everything inside.
11: That's the thing and and I've just written an article for a a magazine overseas and I've stated that this whole new look of aircraft that are coming through not just the Jabiru but it's a, a typical example when people are looking at do they survive as a flying school people have an expectation not just of safety but if they want to come and hire an aircraft they want something that looks the part something that doesn't creak and groan and have cracks all through the interior, something they can show off to their friends with. And these new aircraft possess those qualities. Just before I saw you guys, one of the local aero clubs in Tasmania said they credited getting aircraft such as the Jabiru as, as saving the business.
1: Yeah, well, that was what we were talking about in the previous chat with you when you uh, were discussing the Diamonds, the 20 and 40, and how like the, the thing is, you, you, the, the typical target that you're going to try for to get into the recreational flying these days is someone with a bit of disposable cash who would otherwise put it in a boat or, you know, Know, traveling the world playing golf and exactly. they don't want to get out of their modern car and get into an antique plane.
11: Exactly. And if you look at those other fields of endeavours, such as sailing or golfing or whatever, they're far more market savvy, I'd have to say, in terms of trying to attract people to the market, looking at attracting younger people to the market and, and giving it that element of kudos that the people with the disposable cash want to get out of their pastime as much as the, the joy of what they do. Yeah. And I, once again, I think RA Oz are on the right track there. With They've got a young aviator yeah. program, new styles of aircraft with glass cockpits, it really is the point at which I think we could turn people back to aviation just for the fun of it.
1: Agreed. And yeah, uh, you know, you, you, yeah. There's you look at the people who are out sailing, and un- unless they really want to have an old boat, it's like an, a pilot unless you really want that old aircraft. You you want the new stuff that just works. And you don't have exactly. to worry about. and
11: and it's tremendous that we have the people with the antique interest. I owned a tiger moth and it was it was a great joy and I still miss that aeroplane. But there is also that the probably the broader cross section that want the accessibility of a modern aircraft that they want to be able to get in and go with a heater <laughs> <laughs> and um, a, an enclosed cockpit come back and land and park the aircraft and get on with their life. Yep. Um, the antique aircraft are generally a lifestyle more than a, a form of transport yes. in many ways. Yep. And and yep. I love that lifestyle. I love the open cockpit, et cetera. But in terms of the broad market, you're, you're looking more at this, this new type of aircraft and people may well progress onto the antique when they fall further in love with flying.
1: No, definitely. It's, it's like the, um, the icon aviation guys with their um, light sport amphibian Yes. And, um, in the U.S., and they are targeting that directly at the people who'd go and buy a cigar boat or go and buy a, a great yacht. And they're, they're taking their their prototype and their demo model out to boat shows.
11: Yes, yes. And, and, and I, think, I think you can say in many ways, I think it was Sir Rod Eddington said about Ancet at one stage when he first came, it was a, a great airline but a pretty average business. Yeah. And I think general aviation in a lot of aspects over recent years could fall under that category as well. It's a a tremendous activity, but there aren't too many people who probably in the past have paid due attention to business plans, management systems, and uh, administration. It's been more about the love of the flying, and unfortunately in this corporate world we live in, it's going to have to be a balance of both. And if we look at the competing activities like we quoted before sailing and uh the like they have got market savvy and, oh, and i definitely. think to, if you look at it the sports are doing it at the moment with each other afl and rugby league and rugby union how do we get the young people how do we market our sport how do we attract a broader audience aviation as a, a pastime has to i think get that switched on as well
0: well a new you know a new generation of aircraft and and, and hopefully like you say it'll usher in a new way of thinking amongst people you know uh, an episode or so back we interviewed uh, the local flying school to us here at Turin and they're running Jabaroos. Mm-hmm. Uh, admittedly they're uh, the older models I'm not, I'm not sure the uh, the designation of them a little bit smaller uh, the 170s than, and so on yeah 170s that's right a little bit smaller yeah. than the ones uh, that, that you brought down to show us Owen but but still yeah it definitely is the way of the future and, and creating that sense of community much like they do in the United States where they have the young eagles programs and and things like this this is it's definitely the way it's really the only way that we can um, really raise the profile of aviation in this country, um, is to get get to the kids and get it in their head now that um, you know this is this is something that's worth pursuing.
11: And that, that's one thing I found on the way around Australia by speaking with school groups and the like is that we spoke about the history of aviation and the great pioneers such as Hinkler, Laura's Bonney, Kingston Smith. But we also spoke about the feasibility and accessibility of of flying in this modern age in this great country. And if I had flown around the country in a Super King Air, that message mightn't have got across because it still looks beyond the grasp of of the average school kid sitting there, but when they see me climb out of a a light, light aircraft and the fact that I am venturing the whole way around the country, that sends a totally different message, not only to them, but the parents who have come to listen and you could see the look on their face and how many litres an hour does it burn? You could see them calculating that at a cost per litre of fuel and gee, that isn't exorbitant to go at 200 kilometres an hour and that, that sort of aircraft sends that message and I saw that all the way around Australia.
1: No, definitely it's, it's one of the one of the key factors of getting everyone into the air and, and, and helping to build the aviation world again I mean you know the more people flying the less likely it is that uh, statements from politicians about you know, recently with the incident the accident in Sydney um, you had a local politician saying um, building a busy airport close to residences is crazy despite the fact that the busy airport was there before the residences you know this kind of thing we need yeah, to it's incident.
11: unfortunate that anyone tries to score points on the emotional wave that comes after a tragedy it it, it's, yeah. it happens, um, but uh, I think it's it's pretty poor form. But, like those uh, things need to be discussed in the the cold, balanced forum of, of government and, and council, rather than uh, through the media in the wake of a tragedy. I think that's that's pretty poor form. Unfortunately, Indeed.
0: with the media, of course, we live in an era of you know 10 second grabs and. Yeah. Uh, People are, are going to capitalise on that emotional side of things, which is sad. But we don't want to focus on the negatives here today with with this. So uh, uh, the only other thing I would say, Owen, just in you know in pa- passing reference, if you had done it in a Super King Air, you know, we could have come with you, and that would have been wonderful. So,
11: <laughs> From whose perspective? Well, 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 <laughs> <laughs> well, 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 well we don't know. There, r- there was a, without being rude, there was a, a real joy in, in going solo. Personally, <laughs> it was. Yeah. Um, it does give you that that sense of. Um, or that ability to really reflect while the flight's in progress and to take in those special moments without having them interrupted by chatter or feeling at times that you should uh, be chatting to the person with you. It was a, a very great personal experience to do it on your own. So yeah. um, I'm sorry, guys. I probably would have been solo in a, a, a king, king air.
7: Well. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Solo
1: in a king air. Just yeah. thinking of your climb rate. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 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 Now, now speaking of um, of experiences and things like that are there any memorable moments you you could rattle off that you're willing to tell us on the, on the show
11: oh yeah I'm willing to tell you everything that uh, happened that was all um very much uh as planned but there were significant points going to Point Cook where I I saw you chaps before I I met up with you I'd been over to the parade ground where my father received his wings back in 1950-51 and stood fairly close to the same point and that was a once again a quiet moment I had on my own so there were significant moments that way to to come cross paths with aeroplanes I'd flown in a previous life up at Cunanara my old 310 is still there and in Geraldton I parked beside the Cherokee Arrow that I did my night VFR training in with my father. So Uh they were personally significant moments and there were a a, a mass of those, but on a a taking in Australia sense, I'd have to say that, and I've said it before, but just that diversity, the fact that you can depart somewhere like Broome with a beautiful coastal situation and and so closely afterwards be over the rough reds of the Pilbara and then Carnarvon starts to come up from the right hand side and you, you start to see vegetation of a different nature again that within one relatively short sector you get to see this diversity and I think that is one of the magical things about Australia. Sure, when I was sitting over central Australia, I always loved that I cannot focus on the horizon feeling. It's that <laughs> far off. That That's beautiful. Standing on the veranda at Forest and, and looking out over the Nullarbor and not a sound to be heard, yeah. all of those things are very, very special. But I think it's probably that diversity, the whole journey, it, it was a, a common theme. You you took off and went over Cape way then across Island and Bass Strait and the rich greens that you then experienced and the beautiful blues of the water. So the diversity that we have within I, I had personally within a two and a half three week period by circumnavigating this country was fantastic.
0: It sounds to me too Owen like it was almost a bit of a spiritual adventure for you in, in a way. I've noticed that a common theme when we talk to you and we've we've done that on a number of occasions now is the uh, you know honouring the memory of your father and and obviously the the huge influence that he had on your on your aviation career. So obviously um, you know there was a lot of times there where you could really pay a lot of homage to your father and during this trip.
11: Yeah, it's funny because the the idea to actually do it he and I spoke about and and almost committed to do and he he passed away not long after so there was a direct link in that sense and the fact for me to do any flying and not have him have some degree of presence is probably um, almost impossible because he was such a huge influence not only in growing up with with his own background but he literally did all of my instructing except for my flight instructor rating so both he was a parent and a mentor in many ways so as I went around there was definitely that that spiritual element uh, that personal element and in many ways I think that's that enrichen the experience, and you could afford to do that when you were solo to think about those things. It was uh, in many ways uh, uh, there and back for me as well.
0: Yeah, it's 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 one of those things where I often talk in this show about people who get it and people who don't. And when we talk about what aviation means to individuals, um, you know, that's that's sort of a common theme with me. I, some of my most cherished memories are the times when I took my father up flying with me, and uh, although my dad was not a pilot, um, you know, we were just both fascinated with aviation and. Uh, to be able to take him up flying just around the bay here, around the Melbourne area. Uh, I remember those days with, with great fondness. And um, so I, I can understand where you're coming from.
11: Yeah. And, and in an era when people always say that, you know, young folks are going off the rails or they don't hear me or don't understand. Well, I think we all probably went through that. But <laughs> aviation can provide a, a wonderful link and theme. I know people that are, are building home-built aircraft in conjunction with their, their teenage sons and daughters. And there was definitely a bond between father and son in my situation. So it's a grown-up interest that parents can share with their their kids as they go through that difficult time in many cases. So there's a lot to be said for it. And another reason why this encouraging the the Young Eagles program and certain things like that are um, are beneficial, not just for aviation, but... On a personal basis too, I think
0: we really, really, I'm really keen to push that aspect of flying through this program as best that we can. I I just, I'm, I'm I'm such a believer in in the idea of it.
1: Another, another factor of the the connection and things like that with your trip was uh, connecting with all Australia's famous historical aviators as well, wasn't it?
11: Yeah, it was a multi-pronged trip in many ways. It, um, (laughs) but. If you do look at the the routing up through Longreach, obviously, the home of Qantas Mm -hmm. and departing from Bundaberg where there's just so many reminders of Hinkler's uh, heritage there and, as we've discussed before, Murchison Station where the two pioneer aviators are buried and the state outback Station there. So all along the way there were little reminders and also reminders of how Integral aviation has been to all of Australia. It's not capital city centric. It's a lifeline even today to the outback. But we do have such a rich history for a country our size. And the flight itself paid homage to those aviators because whereas they sat there with their head in the breeze, a pair of goggles and an Atlas on their lap. I had a cabin heater, a GPS, uh, an (laughs) EFIS backed up by analog instruments, or or Vicky Verka, really, your your analog instruments, your (laughs) primary, and in in relative comfort, at greater speed and greater endurance, knowing where I was going with ATC there if something should go wrong, and a satellite system on the back that had everyone knowing where I was. So what was remarkable about my trip, as I've said, is that it was unremarkable because of the work done by those pioneers and, and people through the years, that it makes it so accessible today.
1: Very much a standing on the shoulders kind of environment.
11: Yeah, and to get that appreciation, I look at a chart and say, I flew from here today, well, that's that's quite a leg. But imagine, imagine even 50 Mm -hmm. years ago in an Oster or something, (laughs) trying to get some of those sectors. You wouldn't know if fuel was going to be available. You didn't have the ATC coverage. To support the f- sector on those you didn't have napes where on the iPhone, I could pull up a weather yeah you really were a pioneer even 50 years ago. So we're very, very fortunate in this day and age, and with that comes a degree of safety that mm-hmm. they, they didn't have in those days
1: as long as we play our parts as professional pilots. The professional pilots aspect is what you need to avoid the complacency that all these um, new safety features and the whole world that we're in now can breed.
11: Exactly, and, and when I say professional, it's probably a misuse of the term because it alludes to commercial, but what I mean is it's a, it's a state of mind rather than yes. a level of licence. But yep. you're dead right, and I, I've written articles on the use of GPS in VFR nav, and I religiously kept flight logs, plotted it on my charts where I was, fixing positions, and the GPS, in all honesty, was a backup yep. to my visual nav, and that was part of the fun for me.
1: That's how it should be.
11: Yeah, what but I the... do know that people follow that pink line blindly at <laughs> times, and that could, uh, that could lead to all sorts of
1: problems. Oh, okay. Yeah, go direct and, oops, sorry about your minimum um, required altitudes and uh, watch out for that tower. And about CTA that stall zone, you just uh, step through, yeah.
0: <laughs> exactly.
11: It's a tremendous tool. It's not the entire toolkit.
0: So, Owen, oh, of course, one of the uh, the major uh, purposes of doing the trip was to raise money for the Royal Flying Doctor Service. Uh, how much money did you uh, raise in the end?
11: It had a target of $10,000 and it raised $10,300. Give or Woohoo.
0: take, excellent. So
11: it did. <laughs> it did awesome. crack. Did crack the ten thousand dollar mark, which was very pleasing. Congrats! And uh, the the community support and donations throughout the flight and, and subsequent to it were were absolutely phenomenal. From from groups such as the Air Force at Tyndall who presented a check to a cab driver who gave me five dollars to to put towards the the flight. So oh, wow. it really was very satisfying to reach that goal of $10,000 and yep. um, it, it put the icing on the cake so to speak because it, it, that was always a core purpose was to raise funds for the Flying Doctor but also to raise that awareness of the work they do.
1: Yeah, no, all around all round sounds like a major achievement for the awareness and the and the funds and I guess you've got a few very happy people over at RFDS now.
11: Yeah, I'd, I'd like to think so. I, I also recognise that what they do is a very expensive business crossing over between aviation and, and medicine. I don't think you could equip two more Capital um sucking ventures really, but uh <laughs> the awareness I think is, is probably and the exposure is probably worth every dollar again that was donated yep. online. So it's a combination of both, but yeah, they definitely appreciated the effort that went into it.
0: Oh, and now um, yes, of course you had a lot of uh, really great sponsors during the trip, and uh, you know we ought to just mention those again. Uh, one, of, one of the ones that uh, the Grant and I used to uh, to great lengths to follow you around on your trip was Spider Tracks. So what a fantastic service that is!
11: That was, and, and if I had to point one thing that really attracted interest, it would be. The spider track system the number of emails i would get at the end of each day when i logged on saying oh we noticed you did a left turn on departure <laughs> out of uh Jandicot. what was that about or, or and you'd have to stop and think, gee what was that <laughs>
4: <laughs> and, and i'd
11: look that? back at the chart and it was maybe following a, a, a vfr corridor or or in some instances it was just i saw a homestead that i liked the look of and i decided to do an orbit In in fact, through Outback Queensland and the likes, because ABC Radio were broadcasting to a lot of those homesteads, I I made a point that I would do an S-turn over each of these uh, rural towns that I knew were listening to ABC Radio and following the flight. So the spider tracks was very far-reaching. My brother lives in America and he had an eye on it, and people who had the iPhone app were were following it on their phones. So (laughs) I I got asked, was I doing it solo? And as I've said, I, I did it solo, but I had the internet on the back seat. But it was a, it's a wonderful device and it beyond the interest value, it is also a a wonderful safety device because your position is updated so frequently that if something does go amiss. They can pinpoint the latitude, longitude, and you have that alert button which would, in the event of an emergency, update your position every 30 seconds until your ground speed falls below 30 knots. So it's a very precise update of your position, and it functions that it sends automatic emails, text messages to nominated phone numbers to make them aware of your uh, situation. So the the fact that, gee, he hasn't come here and his SAR has expired an hour ago wouldn't happen. Yeah. Probably within seconds of something going amiss and you hit that alert button, people not only know something's wrong, but they know exactly where it's going wrong.
0: Yeah,
1: yep. very handy.
0: And, of course, your other sponsors, are David Clark, Hawker Pacific. Uh, who else did you have on board with you?
11: Uh, Sh- Champagne Flight Planning yep. Services. They had a, a flight planning system, and I must admit, it's the first time I'd ever used a computer-rise flight planning system. I still planned it longhand and then went through the – campaign system. And it's just amazing that I was a bit of a Luddite, as you're aware. And and the fact that these tracks and distances, you can factor them in, bang, without the whiz wheel, the wind comes up and gives you your headings and ground speeds at the push of a button is fantastic. But what I found beyond that was that you can print out what the frequencies are on route, where the PRDs are, what's the CTA, etc., and a tailored map for your route. The standard format I had in the cockpit was I had my flight plan and I had these tailored maps as well. And then within the folder, I had my air services charts, the WAC obviously and and your ERCs and VTCs, et cetera. So I had the, the legitimate charts, but just for, gee, what's the frequency here? I could look down at these tailored ones, which I'd cross-checked against the air services chart prior to departure, and it was all just at your fingertips.
1: Sounds like champagne was almost like a GPS for a ground planning. You know, the it was. Of, it of was in many
11: ways. And, and that was one of the things I um, experienced with the planning and the execution is that you conceive it and plan it in the first instance, old school in my opinion. You get out the ruler, you get out the pencil. Yep. You then enter it into the flight plan, and you look what the computer system comes back with, gee, those two cross-checks, so you've straight away got one verification of your cross-checking. I would then, the night before, enter the route into the GPS. Then I would check that against the flight plan, check that against my raw data. So effectively, by not relying on one solely but each of them, you've got three levels of cross-check for the route. And I found that a a very worthwhile use of technology. In the cockpit, it does reduce workload, which enhances situational awareness. But in the first instance, you plan old school, and you use each layer of technology to verify those details. Because if they do fall over for some reason, you not only still have the raw data to fall back on, but you have intimately planned it at that level. So you're not yeah. caught off
1: guard. Well, that's that's the classic phrase of the uh, the seven P's or six P's as some know it, which is, uh, you know, proper prior planning, et cetera.
11: Exactly. And, and we all know where that one goes. <laughs> but, um,
1: yeah, especially the seven.
11: <laughs> yeah. So it, it, it's true, but it's absolutely true. And as you find in aviation, so many instances, those adages will never go out of date.
1: It works in so many things. It I, does. I've used use the seven P's and IT and everything. It's it's great. Exactly. And it shows when you don't.
0: Well, we're probably running a bit short of time here, mate. Now, of course, the trip is over. Uh, where to from here? What's what's the next big adventure in the uh, in the story?
11: There's so many things happening. I've had um, so many emails and offers, and that since I've got back about would you like to walk down this road with us that the first priority really is to get the manuscript done that relates to the story of the flight and I'm working on that literally today and it it is becoming a a magnificent experience in itself as anyone who's done any writing knows that sometimes the pen leads you down roads you hadn't even thought of of going and (laughs) and that's that's quite enjoyable so there's that I've edited to a degree and compiled my still images. I've also got video footage which I've downloaded and backed up and subsequent to doing the manuscript then I'll look at putting a, a DVD together of the flight. In the short term there's, there's an article coming out in Australian Aviation next month which wraps up the flight but beyond that there's some real possibilities. that the There and back website's changing its face a little bit to become a, a more general aviation based site. And when I say general aviation, I, I mean as specifically relating to the trip. It's now looking at the craft of flying an airmanship and cool. rather than the specific flight, although there probably will down the track be another flight. I, I'm pretty confident yeah. that'll occur within a, a few years time. So it's it's a transition into trying to enrich that aviation interest that we've got and, and yep. continue to um, let people know about our, our wonderful hobby of flying. And first priority, I guess, is to get the manuscript finished. There has been a lot of interest in doing a handbook on how did you plan this? How did you execute this? What do you carry over water? What do you carry through remote regions? So... If I can put something like that together, I, I certainly will because I've received a lot of emails about doing that. Yeah. So there's, there's a number of projects, but it, it's always a balance of paying full attention to my, my full-time profession and also the family life. So it's, it's back to those early starts of getting up at 3.30 or 4 in the morning and two, two hours of a morning, and <laughs> it's it's the auxiliary part of my, my day. But yeah, it's, yeah. it's a really enjoyable experience, and the manuscript in particular.
0: And of course, Owen, uh, as you've uh, revealed to us in previous interviews, You uh, work for Qantas, uh, you fly with them, and also you uh, write articles for Australian Aviation and do air tests, and uh, folks, if you don't read Australian Aviation, and frankly, I couldn't understand why you wouldn't if you're in this country, but uh, (laughs) some of Owen's uh, air tests are are really great reading, really, really well detailed and uh, well worth a read if you haven't done so already. Thanks for that. Okay, Owen, well, once again, it's been a fascinating chat with you, mate, and uh, we, we really do appreciate you sharing the uh, there and back journey with us here on Playing Crazy Down Under, and uh, we wish you all the best for the future, mate, and we, we certainly hope that we can uh, catch up with you from time to time and uh, just have a chat about things aviation in general.
11: Thanks a lot, guys. Yeah, your support's been from the outset, and it's been great as well. I think what you're doing with Playing Crazy Down Under is fantastic, and I'm aware that your audience is growing, and rightly so. So, no, I'm, I'm more than happy to have a chat with you any time. You, you're doing a great job, fellas.
0: Hey, thanks, Owen. Thanks very much, mate. Mate, and uh, we'll, we'll catch up with you. We'll, uh, we'll let you uh, get back to, to your daily routine before we get into uh, We don't want to get you into any trouble on the home front. So uh, we'll, we'll let <laughs> you go and we'll talk nope. to you soon.
11: <laughs> no worries whatsoever. Talk to you soon, guys. Cheers, mate. Thanks, mate.
7: If you can't get enough of AirplaneGeeks.com, try Plane Crazy Down Under.
8: And then come back and listen to AirplaneGeeks.com again.
0: At PCDU, we actively encourage participation from our audience. To leave a comment or suggestion, or for further information on how you can support the podcast, please visit our website at www.planecrazydownunder.com. <laughs>
11: In this and other great shows at the Aviation Podcast Network.
8: The voicesinyourhead.com.
0: And welcome back, folks. Well, uh, gee, uh, Owen's uh, a fascinating guy, isn't he? And uh, it was really great to meet him when he came down here to Point Cook, Grant. And uh, that aircraft was a very snappy-looking machine, and uh, he's probably uh, regretting the fact that they didn't let him keep it. Oh,
1: yeah, it's – it's well, he, he has his own uh, Tomahawk <laughs> – sorry, I almost said hawk. <laughs> he has his own Tomahawk, but, yeah, this would be a good replacement for that. Yeah, well, uh, you know,
0: <laughs> you probably might remember back to the first discussion we ever had with Owen where we were talking about the trauma hook, oh, sorry, Tomahawk, and uh, <laughs> he commented that, uh, yeah, it's got that reputation, but uh, probably a good trainer. And I was not long ago listening to an episode of uh, Uncontrolled Airspace where they were saying the same thing. They were talking about the Tomahawk and, uh, you know, some of its uh, idiosyncrasies. I think I did one
1: flight in on it as a, as a student pilot, and that was enough for me. Oh, I think I've been up in one a couple of times with friends when I was based in Sydney and Brisbane, but, uh, yeah, it doesn't really stick in my mind that well so it kind of been maybe it wasn't a tomahawk Mm. (laughs) <laughs> well, a tomahawk mate where every
0: stall is an adventure that's the one <laughs> but uh folks uh, owen's website of course is there and au and uh just having a quick look here he's he's changed it completely since he did the uh, tour of course it's been a couple of months now since he's gotten back and since we did that interview that interview with him in fact but uh yeah his website is really now just a portal for uh for his articles he's got his blog on there a great little uh, segment he's got there called the craft where he's uh, you know talking about the the craft of flying yep. and so it's a it's a it's a beautifully presented website. So folks, if you haven't been to back.com.au for a while, we'd uh, we'd certainly encourage you to get over there and take a look.
1: Definitely. Well worth visiting that site. Uh, we're very, very happy to be associated with Owen and um, having him on the show occasionally to chat about what he's doing. We're in fact looking forward to bring him back in the near future because we, we know he's uh, in the middle of a couple of projects that should be of some level of excitement for all of us.
0: Yeah, all right, mate. Uh, so uh, we haven't got any listener mail to speak of this week, but... Uh, what? what? The post he's not arriving no, at midnight this time? Yeah, no, I think the rain's kept him away this week, mate, but we do have all a right. shout-out or two. Oh, cool. So, Grant, I was listening to episode 114 of Airplane Geeks uh, this morning, just before we're recording this bit now, and I um, just wanted to leave a shout-out for Peter Johnson in the UK. I don't know whether he listens to Plane Crazy, but I certainly hope you do, Peter. And uh, Peter actually did, a, uh, I guess, a test segment there for the Airplane Geeks called Across the Pond and uh you know just a, was a great effort mate, and uh, we hope that uh that you listen to this and feel a bit encouraged to go on with it like we did that's that's how we started doing this program this program so if you uh, if you're looking to do a podcast of your own well uh you know you can use airplane geeks as a test bed. it worked for us
1: oh oh dude you you're going to get in trouble now
0: <laughs> Oh no, Max Max wouldn't get angry at us, would he? Would he uh, uh,
1: Um Okay, next <laughs> No, it's normally me he gets angry with, so it's all good. Yeah, that's good. Oh, congrats to Peter. I haven't listened to the full airplane geeks episode yet. I only only just got a chance to start listening today and haven't been able to get all the way through it. But I'm looking forward to hearing the full uh segment. So Peter, congratulations and uh welcome to the team of segment providers for the airplane geeks.
0: Yeah, so folks uh, if you haven't listened to the airplane geeks podcast podcast for a while, we certainly encourage you to get across there. We have we have great fun uh, making our, our segment for that show, of course, but it's a, it's a fantastic podcast, and uh, even though it's got Rob Mark on it, but hey, you know. Well,
1: you know, it's got Rob Mark, it's got Dan
0: Webb. And that kid. What's that kid's name again? Yeah, oh, Seat Pitch. Yeah, Seat Pitch, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> But I got—I got to admit, Grant. I was just looking through my iTunes library just before, and we were flicking through, looking for some content. And uh, there's so many great aviation podcasts out now; they're filling up my iPod quicker than I can listen to them all. In fact, yeah. I, I'm ashamed to admit that I'm about 20 episodes behind now of Uncontrolled Airspace, the one I should be listening to the most.
1: Oh, mate, mate, that's not real good. I At least, you know, sorry about at, that, Jack. At, at least with podcasts like Uncontrolled Airspace and Airplane Geeks and Airspeed and a, a few of the other ones, I do try and bump them up to the top. I've—I've I've finally caught up with all the Pilotcast ones. Um, I'm just about caught up with. Oh, no, I think I am caught up with all the mile high flyers, and I'm working through Pilot's Journey and Crew Lounge, and oh my, there's so many but I am getting through them. Uh, Of course, that's being helped by me being back on a bit of light duties now and able to do a little bit of work again. So I'm getting the occasional drive out to the Yarra Valley and occasionally into the city. So that's when I get a lot of time to listen to podcasts when I'm out driving around. It's been too wet to mow the lawns. Uh, So other than that and doing the housework, there's not a lot of other time I get to listen.
0: Well, I guess that just about wraps it up for this episode, folks. Uh, We have had a number of interviews recorded. Uh, We've got quite a few uh, interesting segments uh, coming up uh, in uh, future episodes. We've spoken... To Matt Hall again, uh, Nigel Lamb, we've spoken to Hannes Ark and Pete McLeod that'll Ooh. be coming up in uh, future episodes. Plus, uh, Controller's Corner that'll be coming up in episode 44, along with another view from the lounge from Anthony Simmons. So, uh, we've got plenty coming up for you folks. Plus, uh, the next show we're going to actually talk about some news. There's been a lot of news around lately.
1: Oh, well, yeah, there's,
0: a lot, there's lots of cool stuff going on, but you know, we'll get there. Yes, we'll get there. And speaking of get there, I'm going to uh, get there, get straight into the editing suite and get this out. Was there anything else, Grant?
1: Yeah, well, while you're diving into the editing suite, can everyone out there please just go and leave us a review at the iTunes store? Uh, We've got a few already and the more the merrier as that helps people realise that, well, you know, maybe we are worth listening to. But uh, yeah, the more people who give us some support and help promote us, the more likely we are to keep uh, trying to produce good episodes and uh, bring you as as best content as we can. Yep,
0: and uh, feel free to send us emails with any uh, suggestions for interviews or anything else you'd like to hear on the program, that's under at gmail.com. And if you don't already, you can also follow our Twitter feed, Grant, that's p-c-d-u. Thanks very much for listening. We certainly hope You've you enjoyed it. We'll be back soon Crazy with episode under, 44. But until Steve then, Fisher just remember
8: this, it's what's down notes, under the counts. Links to our forum, Facebook fan page, YouTube channel, and Grant and Steve's own blogs can be found on our website, www.playingcrazydownunder.com or keep up with our Twitter handle of PCDU. Comments or feedback can be left on our website or email us at plaincrazydownunder at gmail.com. If you'd like to help with the ongoing production of the show, feel free to assist via the donate button on the website. Any contributions are most gratefully appreciated. Incidental music and sound effects are courtesy of soundsnap.com and title music is You Name It Five by Brian Simpson. This has been a Southern Skies online media podcast.
0: All right, no worries. Well, we better kick this off. We don't want to get uh, we don't want Lee to be upset with you or us. No no, 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 <laughs> no,
4: no.
11: Never happens. Never no. happens. I'm an angel. Oh well, there you go. <laughs> sorry,
1: sorry, sorry, sorry. I've, I've got that on tape too. <laughs> Thanks for that.
0: No worries. Son. There's another flavour, you Amy. Anyway, um... <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, you so subtle. Sorry, Steve. I was just going to do the uh, that's that Dutch heritage coming out, mate. Oh yeah, okay. You've been Dutch rolled.
7: Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Now, I don't know if you... (coughs) March. March, was it? Mm -hmm. Or was it April? Which we recorded back in
1: late March. (laughs) And Grant actually recorded an (laughs) interview. That's right. And you're going to hear it all again in the final section of the show. But, hey, repetition is good for learning. Yes. You must obey. Of course. Okay. (laughs) That's the subliminal. You've got the subliminal
0: track
4: ready, right? (laughs) Yes. You must listen. You must listen.